Hi, my name is John Light, and I've spent over 20 years working throughout all corners of the recruiting world. Our podcast, Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool, is a resource to help you stay afloat and get ahead of your competition. Hi, and welcome to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. I'm your host, John Light, president of Sabretooth Tech Talent. And I have with me today, Nicholas Callisto, who is a chief information officer at Avery Dennison. And I wonder, Nick, a couple of things. Number one, you know, we'd love for you to introduce yourself and talk a little bit about your journey to get where you are today. But I don't know if there are a lot of people out there who hear Avery Dennison as a household name. I think I'm used to seeing the name at the printer uh, in an office setting than I am anywhere else. So uh, maybe a little bit about uh, not just what got you there, but you know, you're know you sitting in a pretty big chair in a pretty big company. So I'd be curious to know what a day in the life is like as well, and especially with all the changes we're seeing uh, in the tech world with generative AI and, and so on hitting the marketplace. Yeah, that, no, that's great, John. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's great to uh, engage with the audience and uh, you know have this sort of interactive uh, conversation about uh, IT and talent. It's a very important topic more than ever. Oh, to yeah. like. um, and so Avery Dennison is a, is a global materials uh, science company that specializes in, is in the design and the manufacturing of, of a wide variety of, of uh, labeling and, and functional materials. Um, most people know us about the Avery label that was uh, the buy-in staples years ago. We actually yep. sold <laughs> to a business, but people recognize us uh, from that from that company. So we have uh, you know grown into very, a lot of different markets since then. Uh, we're headquartered in, in Mentor, Ohio. We, we were headquartered in, in Glendale. I was living in LA for the last four years and uh, we, uh, we moved our uh, headquarters to Ohio. We employ uh, over 30,000 employees worldwide and, and in, in over 50 countries. And uh, our reported sales last year was uh, $9 billion. But before I joined, uh, just to give a little bit of background, before I joined yeah. Jenison um, in 2018, February of 2018, I, I served, uh, before that, I served as the global CIO for a $5 billion uh, publicly traded company as well. It was uh, Xylem, X-Y-L-E-M. It was uh, uh, a okay. spin-off ITT. Uh -huh. um, and then I was also the CIO before that for uh, seven years. I was at, as at Hugnanian Enterprises. I was a residential home builder. That was interesting because I was there during the, uh, you know, sort of the, the economic downturn. Uh, yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Five, so. Uh, and then it's, I had it, it's Kehovenian, right? I've I've seen that I've seen their uh, signage. Yeah, Hubnanian is the uh, the name. Okay. The company is also known as Hubnanian Enterprises, depending on gotcha what, what you have. But yeah, and, and I, I spent years at uh, and pharmaceutical and CPG companies before that. So um, fun fact though, fun fact, I always like to share that I worked for fourteen people. I counted fourteen people in the course of my. <laughs> my 36 or 39 year career, depending on how you want to count my career. My wife says I can't count my career until I graduated college, but I like to count before <laughs> I work full time in college. So I, I guess like I, I think I can count that. And the reason why I want to count that is because I worked for 14 people over the uh -huh. course of my, 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 I shouldn't age myself like that, but uh, over the course of my career. And 50% of my managers were women. And mm -hmm. it's pretty amazing to think about that because back in the 80s and early 90s, there weren't a lot of women in IT. Um, no. And I think that really gave me just uh, incredible appreciation for, you know, um, insights and respect and appreciation for women and, and leadership roles. And, and that really has shaped me, you know, uh, as, as a as a IT practitioner, but also a leader in IT, heavily influenced uh, my career. So I'm very fortunate to have experienced that. In, uh, you know, in my can, I, can I riff on that for just a second and ask you a question? What's your what's your uh, college experience? Undergrad, graduate, whatever. What what were what were your uh, your? Oh yeah, so I went to Pace University uh, in New York. Uh -huh. I lived in New York all my life. Um, I lived in New York mo most of my life, in New Jersey, then L.A. Now in Florida, so I'm based in Florida. Um, yeah, so I, I went to Pace University, and I, I have an undergraduate degree in, in uh, information systems and a, and a graduate degree okay. in uh, management information systems. So, so all, I so yeah. I had a uh, I recorded a podcast a week or two ago. Uh, with a lady who is in a flatter organization, very nimble organization. She's a VP of IT, but she effectively functions as her CIO and CISO. And what fascinated me was that her undergraduate degree was in some human sciences, had zip to do with IT. Now, she's yeah. probably close to our vintage. How do you put it politely? You know, my mom always said, never ask a woman her age or she'd get mad at me. My mom would get mad at me. But 
wonder how that journey of yours was impacted by starting off, you know, on that foot, if you will, versus someone who started off, you know, the degree in the humanities or human science, who's now, you know, along the way had to really demonstrate technical skills when you and I know, look, we've been around the block. You've had, I don't know how big your team is now, don't need to know, but I'll tell you what, it's, it's bigger than 99% of the CIOs out there. Yeah, it's over over 600 people. We're, yeah. we're in 28 countries. And so IT is in 28 of the 50 countries. So um, I've, got a great, I've got a great HR organization that helps you with all these metrics. So. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, so I mean, they're, so, um, but they're, they're all over the place. But you understand as well as I do, when you're hiring at that scale or anything at scale, it can be really hard to vet talent and figure talent out. But if you don't have the right talent on board, whatever your strategy is, almost doesn't matter because you can't execute on it. Right. And so I'm, I'm curious if you feel like going down that path that you went down out of college and, and obviously with a great work ethic, even though your wife maybe not, doesn't want to recognize it out of the gate and, and throw, what do you put a four in front of your career number? Oh, I've been working at this for 40 years now. I'm, I'm curious what your take is when you look at talent and you look out there and you look at the people who have helped you and you look at your mentors as well. You said about half of them have been women. I'm really curious to know, did they all come from that undergraduate educational IT bent or were there people that kind of came? Because I know in accounting in the 80s, you could find CPAs who had English lit degrees. Yeah. Now you can't be a CPA in most states are with the AICPA until you have not only your undergrad degree, but the equivalent of a master's with a whole bunch of advanced accounting courses. So I'm really curious from a, a historical, you know, kind of along the path viewpoint, what you've observed uh, in that regard, both of these, the leadership, the 14 people you've reported to, and uh, of course, what you've seen from your own personal experience dealing with with people you might want to bring into your organization or develop and mentor. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 uh, yeah, it's, it's a go, big question. It's a big, <laughs> question. It's a big question. You know, I, if I go back to the 14, and so the seven of the 15, uh, 14 yeah. uh, women leaders that I had, you know, so my first First uh, woman I worked for was in uh, Mutual of New York, Money Financial Services. Yeah. That was, so I was like a junior accountant slash, you know, like programmer. So, you know, um, yeah, mm-hmm. so the personality reporting at that point was not a, a, an IT, uh, it wasn't trained in IT, but because it, it was sort of a mixed kind of role. But I went right. to college. Sort of yeah. So when I graduated college and I, I worked for a woman who uh, didn't have a college degree, which is very interesting. Uh, she was a very uh, seasoned, Joanne Romando, if you're, if you're out there listening. Uh, you know, one of my favorite bosses of my career, right? So she uh, didn't have a college degree and she did mm-hmm. extremely well uh, in uh, Sterling Winthrop, which was eventually bought by Bayer. And she ran, I think, when she when I left, I think I heard she ran like the whole SAP practice in North America. I don't know for sure, but she had a very big wow. role there. She was very, very uh, excellent leader, great uh, empathy, super smart, razor sharp. And, you know, she helped mold me into my, in my earlier early in my career, but didn't have, you know, a college, wasn't professionally trained in IT. So interesting, like you get there different from different ways. I think now if you fast forward now, you know, it's like a mechanic used to using custom working on a, on a uh, traditional engine right now, having to work on a, you know, electric car. Mm-hmm. Very different. You know, I think the yeah. complexity like IT today wasn't, was it wasn't complex back then. It was a lot of programming, a lot of custom development back then and all that. I think now is just the, the, the amount of options that you have, the level of sophistication of these technologies, the integration of these technologies, cybersecurity, infrastructure, landscape, cloud computing, mobility. I think it's just so vastly different from what's back in the back in the eighties. Yeah. Yeah. I, I you know, although there are positions, John, there are positions which I think are definitely have benefited from people that have I was just interviewing someone today, uh, mm-hmm. who's an internal candidate that has no IT degree. But the person has a tremendous amount of supply chain and operations experience. Tremendous, yeah, that's right? something you need. And I need I need someone in that role, in this particular role, that has that experience. And you know, you know, he's got an MBA, he's got a BA, he's got an MBA, he's, he's going for a PhD, just an incredible you know, candidate. Yeah. So you know, and he can interface with happens to be a he interface with the, with our business partners. I don't call them the business business our business partners. Right, we're all partners in business. We're, we're part of the business. Um, and it, it probably very more effectively than other candidates that have maybe a very techie kind of background. Of course, so the IT business partners we used to call them the liaisons. Um, yeah. I, I think there you have more room to not be traditionalists uh, in IT. But I think if you're getting into infrastructure, security, project management, business analysis. 
uh, you know, I think today I, I would favor people that have the, the IT background. Yeah. So I did a, one of my favorite placements when I look back over history, because I've been doing headhunting thing for a couple decades. And, yeah, you know, there's there are people I'll see a profile occasion on LinkedIn. I'll look at it and go, did I place that person? <laughs> thinking, what? Did, I, did I place that guy or that, that lady? Oh, yeah. right? You know, you know, because they're so familiar, but it might have been, yeah. you know, 18 years ago <laughs> or something. And and but there's there's this cadre of people that I just, you know, they're top of mind all the time. Right. And there's one in particular, if, you know, she can figure out who it is. If Myra's listening, I know I invite her to come listen to the podcast, but I placed her at a, a very large uh, natural resources company. In what I suppose functionally was an IT role within her SAP uh, group, but she was a CPA who had a lot of financial reporting experience and was a super user, power user of SAP. And what she really did is she was that fusion of a specific expertise, financial reporting, into the IT world. You know, bringing that expertise. So then bringing then that on the flip side of that, taking that IT piece and pushing it out. But to get there, you first got to bring in what does a financial report need to look like? How does it need to come together? You know, starting from the chart accounts and the, the master data behind it and just all the way up the growth chain. And she ended up being there a decade or so, had a fabulous run. And I just, I remember people, I love those fusion kind of roles, you know, because it gives me, as we, as AI comes out, World Economic Forum sponsored a study and they said, I think it was about 2025 or 2026, that 87 million jobs, job categories, I guess you could say, are going away. They'll be displaced or replaced. Uh, people will in them by AI. But it should create another 92 or 3 million jobs. And so replaced or displaced is almost, almost this code word or, or code speech, if I could say it that way, for, hey, we need to reinvent ourselves. We need to show that we're resilient and we're resourceful, reinvent ourselves. And the idea that there are pathways for people to take what they know and bring that knowledge, that special, that training, whatever it might be, into other areas. You know, to me, that's kind of exciting that, that yeah. fusing that together, reinventing yourself, carving out maybe not a new career path, but something that's novel to you, you know, and, and frankly, over the next three to five years, in a lot of respects, some of this is going to be really novel to everybody. Right. No, I agree. Moves. You know, roles like prompt engineering will become, you know, commonplace hiring prompt engineers. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, like you said, a lot of new jobs will be created, a lot of you know, routine jobs that get, you know, repetitive type of routine jobs that could be automated will be mm -hmm. replaced. Um, but we're in a hype cycle now too. So I don't get too totally excited about, right. I, 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 we spent a lot of time thinking about it and, and studying it and ideating and experimenting and looking at vendors. I just came back from uh, Northern California. We visited with seven different vendors and, you know, we're, we're constantly we're leaning in. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also just sort of like, we've been here before. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, we can get into a whole conversation about how we've been here before. But yeah, so just being careful that we don't overhire um, and then we have people sitting on their hands. So you have well, to be careful. You don't want to overhire, but at the same time, you can't neglect the day to day business that has to occur today. Uh, you know, and exactly. that's yeah. You, you got to get it right. You got to get it right. You, have, you can afford to make some mistakes, but you don't want to underhire, right? And mm -hmm. you don't want to have to overhire because of the hype. And then you go through that, you know, you know, trough of disillusionment, as Carton wants to say, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. I need to remember that one. I need to work trough of disillusionment yeah. <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. We're going to get a few of those. We're right now we're still in the hype. We're in, the, we're, we're yeah. in that curve. We're, right? we're still in the hype. But, you know, when you kind of look back over the last couple of years, you know, the, uh, tech companies, big tech companies had all these layoffs yeah. and they did they lay off people in AI and data science and machine learning. I'm sure they laid some off, uh, but they laid a lot of people off their administrative related functions. Uh, first, first level recruitment, uh, administrative and, and so on and so forth. Um, probably because they overhired in part as a reaction going into the lockdowns from, from COVID. But at the same time, I think I've heard, I, haven't run across this as a little client of ours yet, but I have heard there are some large companies that are starting to shed developers, programmers and such like, because I, I can go use generative AI to create or, or put together 80% of the code I need. And then I have to go in and edit it or oversee it. It's interesting because, no, I, I definitely agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Coding is certainly one of the, we think about, you know, generative AI, you think about, you know, I, I have this little mnemonic that I use called, called Tiva. 
So it's text. You can generate text. You can generate mm-hmm. images, video, audio, and then then of course the coding doesn't come into the TIVA. So you know, coding is certainly yeah. I have to add that right. So then there's coding, which is automatically generated. So there's a lot of you know. So when we think about generative AI, um, I think initially we all thought about ChatGPT and, and, and you know novel and original text, but it's much more than that. So you use categories of and of course you see now on LinkedIn you see these wheels right. of. I'll be, you know, the, I call it the Tiva wheel, you know, plus, you know, and then you see these different like technology companies that are coming out of the woodwork. But just remember, we've been here, you know, if you think about uh, the dot-com boom in the early 90s and right. 2000s, oh, let's forget about that. That was so different. Oh, yeah, okay, that was different, right? And how about 3D printing in like 2010? How about VA, VR and AR in about 2010 as well? Blockchain, anybody? Yeah. IoT? You know, and even, even AI machine learning, was a surge in demand uh, for AI experts and, and data scientists. And some organizations really overhired and overinvested yes. in, in these initiatives and without clear use cases and, and for integration to you know, your, your other business processes and failed miserably, right? So, yeah. it's, you know, and I think we're going to find this too. We're going to find, and oh, by the way, AI is really expensive. I mean, Google, yes, it um, is. One, Microsoft a few weeks ago, what did they say? They said that co pilots going to cost $30 a seat. Well, I got 20,000 users. Uh, I'm sorry. I've seen that look before for people when they start talking about this thing. I'm not going to tell you my price I pay for Google right now for Google Workspace, which is the 65 and Google. It's a lot less than $30 a person, right? Now, I know that's less price, but I think Google is going to probably do something similar. Oh, yeah. Oh, they have to. So if it's a quarter of that price when you get to negotiations, that's going to be double what you're paying today, right? Potentially, right? So- you start adding in, oh, but I need, I need this, I need Jasper, I need Midjourney, and I need, I need mm-hmm. Synthesia, all these different tools that fill out that wheel. You know, if that wheel, if there's real use cases in that wheel, it's going to get incredibly expensive. And you know that Salesforce and Oracle and SAP, all of them right. are going to say, well, you want, oh, oh, you want the AI version of our software? Ooh, okay. Press this button and you can pay more of your subscription. Just like hey, you know. we'll let we'll let you pay that subscription yeah. <laughs> if you just push the button. Just like the, the Tesla, you, know, you buy a Tesla, right? And so I owned a Tesla, and all you want it to be, you know, you know, auto drive. Press this button, you pay fifteen thousand dollars more. Oh, you want it to go faster? You want to go fa- Press this button for five thousand dollars, it, it can go faster. You know, so it's that's the world. And I think if you start doing all the math on this, you better have some really good ROI. Yeah, these projects, okay. and that's what we're going through now. We're going through this, but you have to remember there's a the Gartner hype cycle, which I think is fantastic. Is that's really the technology trigger, which is the introduction of the technology. It's mm-hmm. the sort of the peak of inflated expectations. So you get this. I think that's what we're going in. So this optimistic hype that we're going, we're getting into now. Then you have this trial of disillusionment, which is like it's not paying off. And then you have that sort of slope of enlightenment, which means that okay. All right, now we've got some solid use cases that can earn, earn some, some, mm-hmm. some payback and be in customer service or digital marketing. Right, what's real? It's real. That's when you start getting, and then you start, and then it, it, but it doesn't peak like, like the peak of inflated expectations. Right. It peaks right. maybe here, right? And then it kind of plateaus and you get widespread adoption. That's how Gartner defines it. It's a wonderful model. And they have a four port series now. I was listening to it on a podcast. I'm a big podcast person myself. Mm-hmm. It was actually, I listened to the podcast. I think it was, I think it was this morning, actually, believe it or not. And uh, yes, yesterday or today, and, and it, they were talking about this as a part uh, series on, on the hype cycle, and it's just fascinating. I, I find it. Well, I mean, it's part of it has to do with the tech. Part of it's just people. Yeah, just I mean, how how we look at stuff. You know, I mean, it's like uh, when you're young and you're dating, and you have a date, and you feel like you're really connected. You're on cloud nine, and two weeks later, you're like, "What on earth am I wasting my money on to go to dinner?" or to go hang out or whatever it might be. You know, I, I don't sit back and look at what's going on right now, you know, the, this hype cycle as necessarily a bad thing, but it's something where I think you're correct. We don't know 100% what's real. And I really think the frontier for machine learning, as well as AI in the generative sense, is how do you apply it? How can you apply it in a way to drive efficiency and effectiveness without having to mortgage your future to the right. degree that if it doesn't work out, you're hamstrung or, or dead in the water. And I think that's the that's the Wild West right now, right? Because I had a candidate, a CTO candidate, and he, he didn't get the position, the opportunity in November of last year. 
he went out and I don't know all the ins and outs of it, but he developed his own AI chatbot and managed to adapt it to call centers uh, for inbound and outbound and uh, for retail kiosks in all places uh, in the cannabis industry, which I can't imagine. I mean, if it were me and I was doing a kiosk at a dispensary in Colorado or someplace, I would have some psychedelic colors and other images just because I could and maybe sell vending machines, bags of brownies and chips and stuff. I, mean, I would I'd go all out. Yeah. But, but I know, uh, I think it was the first 30 days in after you starting in the kiosk, uh, bump sells like 37 or 8%. I mean, did really well considering you don't need as many much headcount, you know, which is there's your displacement aspect of things. But this is a guy who basically did it on his own. Right. You know, and it was his cradle to grave. It was his, you know, if you put all his, your eggs in one basket and you really watch that basket, he did that. And in a handful, maybe even a double handful of months, this guy who is not in one of the big tech centers geographically, he's not in San Francisco, he's not in New York, he's not wherever. He's just a guy in the Midwest who put this stuff together and, and took off like a rocket. But I think there's going to be a lot of entrepreneurialism driving specific applications of this that will outperform what a lot of the big boys are trying to do, at least in the short, the near term. Yeah, I, I heard something last week. Well, I was actually in San Francisco, San, San Jose, I should say, but they said, I read this thing and said, what is it, like majority, I was like, it's like was it two thirds mm-hmm. of all of the AI talent in the US, the, the talent, the assets, you know, all the, all the investment do- dollars, the venture capitalists, all, all of that around AI is in 15 cities, is in 15 cities. And I think it was like, you know, and uh, I think the top cities were, that's why I like caught my attention with San Francisco and San Jose. <laughs> like that was, <laughs> so, and, and, and the, the podcast was talking about like, is that, is that a good thing that we have to such a concentration of AI in these 15 cities when, you know, there's many, you know, cities around the country that have a hundred you know, million plus you know, people, population mm-hmm. that don't have a sort of benefit. So are we getting the same sort of group think? Are the same scientists, you know, working on, on AI? Or generating the same stuff, basically, yeah. yeah. Interesting, interesting sort of like, uh, you know, sort of like debate about it. Like, is that, is that good or bad for the... It, I, it I is. Think it, you think it's bad or good? No, no, I think it's a good, good debate to have. Um, yeah, it's a good debate, yeah. yeah. You know, what, what got me into recruiting on the tech side of things, I, I differentiate. I think there's a lot of overlap between IT and tech. But I think they're kind of in some ways pulling apart, you know, techs like AI in a theoretical sense. Machine learning has been around since what, 50s ish yeah, uh, well. last century. Um, but the computing power wasn't there. And the computing power is an IT function. But the theory uh, of AI going into the theory of mind, right. kind of the next iteration of it, that's something that was textbook, wasn't necessarily dependent on Ethernet uh, connections, data flow, blah, blah, blah. Right. So I, I kind of sit back and look at it from a, we got to figure this, this thing out and is concentration the right way or more of a democratization relative to geography of this expertise? Because I'll tell you right now, I don't know if you've noticed this, but on LinkedIn in the past six months, I've calculated that somewhere in the neighborhood of 73.2% of everybody on LinkedIn is an AI expert. <laughs> you may not have noticed that, but I see it every day. Yep. 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 It, it reminds me of uh, was it yeah, is it um, yeah well are we are we momentum makers or momentum takers you know uh, uh, fakers <laughs> fakers yeah so uh, yeah it's like you know is it real or is it just a bunch of a lot of noise out there right and I think there's I think there's a lot of real and I think you do too I think we all do but no, what percentage is real, real. Yeah. you know yeah. versus the height that's the question and I think that goes down to what's the application. You know, we have AI in our ATS, our applicant tracking system, that will generate a complete candidate outreach program for us in a, in a few heartbeats. But when you read it, I look at it and I go, all right, that's not me. I need to put me into it a little bit, you know, and it doesn't need to be so spammy. And the syntax is not quite what I'd expect it to be. I read a great article in the um, HBR, Harvard Business Review, where the writer posits that we're in the throes of moving from the creator economy to the editor economy. And I thought that was really interesting because as you know, AI doesn't actually create or innovate something novel. It takes from the data sets you fed it, does a bunch of algorithmic contractions and expansions and synthesizes something which could be novel, but it's still made up of a bunch of things that 
data was fed. You know, bringing things together yeah. that are very abstract, uh, far apart is going to be a challenge for it for a while, I think. Yeah, the definition but, of generative AI is is novel and original content, but it's like you're right. It's based, but it's based on existing content that it uses to predict, right. you know, this new content, and it it uh, it does a really good job with it. But that's you my take on on the talent piece of AI. I I, I think yeah. I think you know it's going to replace you know certain routine and repetitive tasks. We talked about mm-hmm. that. In lots of different industries. It's going to impact jobs, and as you said earlier, it's going to create new opportunities related to AI development for sure. You know, the maintenance of all these AI programs and also the implementation of AI. So that'll just create new jobs. I think people yeah. will learn new skills and remain relevant. I don't, I don't have a concern that that's going to happen. And and it's, the, the job landscape is going to evolve. I, I think it's just not going to replace jobs and also augment human capabilities. Yes. Uh, Microsoft Copilot and now Google Duet are going to augment uh, going to help people generate content, make help them make better decisions. I think enhance overall performance. Those are all things that these tools. I'm experimenting now with Google Duet. And it's it's certainly very helpful. Um, and it should and think, it should help us to be more of what we are. Really, I mean, what yeah, we're good yeah. at. Just be faster, be faster and better. Right? Yeah. I, I think it's going to help us be faster and better at what we do. And, and but then then they'll like there'll be a surge for AI talent as you're talking about. So you're going to see a surge for like data scientists, machine learning. Engineers, AI researchers will be. I am okay. totally in favor of that. Just so yeah. you know, but it's ethical considerations too, John. I think you're going to see roles come out of this that are born focusing on the ethics of AI, right? Yes. So issues related to you know bias and privacy and, tra- and transparency, accountability. I think these are new roles that you know. Don't know what, we talk about ethics. We're not really sure how it's all going to pan out. I think there's going to be new jobs focused on. Ethics oh, I think there will be too. I think you're totally right. And one of the questions I actually was fiddling with earlier in the conversation is when you look out there, and I'm not asking for trade secrets here, but I'm wondering what's in your 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 mind about this. How do you, as a leader of an organization, how do you evolve that organization with the marketplace? So for example, and you may have listened to the uh, podcast that uh, we put out with with Mo uh, Dastagir, who was the, the third hire Amazon India. And then a decade later, he's a CTO at Sears. And he's dealing with mainframes, yeah. You know, in 2019, and there's this one guy in the building who understands how it works, right? Well, right. so he had to get in, and you have to defend the territory, the talent you have, I suppose. And he had to help this person, had to upskill him in a way that was tailored for him to get him to where he wanted to go in his career. But with the idea, we're going to do this while we're moving to the cloud, and we're getting off the mainframes, and we're leaving, you know, old tech behind, and all this sort of thing. How do we navigate that, you think, coming up? I mean, and someone who's got a, a small organization, I think has similar problems and some different problems that someone has a larger organization, you know, because you've got the re- you got resources that somebody, say, a medium-sized enterprise, medium-sized business can't touch. Right. So, yeah. so what, what's the, fo- what should yeah. be the so philosophy I think driving that evolution? I think, so we're talking specifically about AI at this point, right? So this is all about, yeah. still on the air topic. All right. So, yeah, when we, when, you know, when, you know, ChatGPT came out in November, became really popularized probably like February timeframe. And then, you know, mm-hmm. it became this, you know, a swarm of activity, this euphoria around ChatGPT. So a lot, of, a lot of IT leaders, small, medium, large companies said, no, no, don't, don't use ChatGPT for work purposes because, you know, we don't trust that it's going to, you know, you're leaking information out to the internet. You don't want to be like, right. you, know, you don't want to take your confidential data and put it into a publicly accessible publicly ingestible environment, right? It's like putting right. confidential data on social media. You just don't do that, right? So a lot of companies, including March ourselves, said no. We've got policies still today. It says do not you do not put confidential data on on these platforms. You could you can use the platforms, just don't mm-hmm. put confidential data on them, right? And then we said no. And now we're moving, we're moving from no N O to no spelled K-N-O-W, right? And we're leading with learning, right? We're still saying no to to put comfort, not put confidential data on the internet. Don't use your your Avery Dennison credentials to right. you know, create to to create ID for these tools so they can't associate it being Avery Dennison. As an example, I'm sure a lot of CIOs did the same thing in CSERVs. But now we're moving to the no chapter, and, and, and we're leading with learning. It's about educating the organization on on all forms of AI, particularly generative AI, uh, but all forms. And then you know the uh, the education leads to ideation, right? And then experimentation. So that's what we're doing. That's, I think many companies are in this sort of mode right now is let's go identify the most promising use cases that, mm-hmm. uh, that we can possibly 
applying either AI or other technology. So I think it's created this, this sort of a surge in, you know, let's identify problems to be solved, right? What is the job to be done, right? And right. that's just happening right now, I think, in, in many different industries. And then that's going to help inform, John, I think the, the 2024 budget, <laughs> maybe the last <laughs> half of this year. But I think it's good, it's good timing that this happened like this, this time because it's going to inform, you know, the balance of the year, but also 2024, you know, major priorities. And the question is, mm -hmm. you know, do you roll out that next ERP system, you know, next year for 15, 20 million dollars? Or do you say, oh, oh wait, that would rather invest yeah. in so that'll, it'll be it'll be interesting how this plays out because we you know we didn't get all of a sudden new capital spent to spend next year. It's the same capital we had you know, last right. year, right? So how do you carve that up? And it's going to be very interesting to see how this all plays plays out. But that's what we're doing. Moving from from saying no to to saying no differently and learning and ideating, experimenting. And we've been experimenting mm -hmm. with AI for many years. We've had we have successful use cases with AI too, but yeah. um, it's just getting more concentrated, right? And I think that's I think I pretty much speak for. I think many of my peers out there, which I, is think, what I think it's a reasonable approach, you know, now I, I think it's a reasonable approach from a, a philosophical standpoint, and maybe it doesn't address say an individual employee's concerns about being replaced or displaced. Yeah. You know, and that's a, that's a different conversation. That's getting into the nitty gritty with somebody and understanding what's important to them, what's important to the company. Yes. How do we keep, you know, the, val the balance of the value proposition, which there really is in every employment situation, there's a, a balanced or should be a balanced uh, value prop in each direction. Yeah, we actually um, named we actually named the program Loop Loop, and okay. presented this to the board a few weeks ago. Um, and we did that on purpose because it's it it's, it it sign signifies that humans are in a loop with mm -hmm. this. You know, they, they, you know, generative AI requires in interactive, iterative, and interactive. Uh, dialogue between humans and artificial intelligence. So I think that we did that on purpose to sort of telegraph that this is not about taking jobs away. It's about augmenting jobs. You're in the loop mm -hmm. with AI. So, and then we've got the, uh, again, an incredible communications team. You met some of them. Um, yeah. That's helping me kind of get the word out. And we have people, we have professional trainers going out, educating people and doing those mm -hmm. ideation sessions. We call it brain, um, um, it's called brain think sessions. So it's just an, a form of ideation and brainstorm. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm, I'm very excited about what's this reservoir that, of ideas that are going to come our way. Very yeah, reservoir. Huge reservoir sitting there. So yeah. tell, tell me yeah. something. So we're, we're talking about AI and we're talking about application and all this and how, you know, you look at it organizationally from a philosophical standpoint and what's happening. Where do you stand? And, and I'm curious on this. I made a comment earlier about IT is kind of like, like an amoeba that's splitting apart a little bit. When you look at tech and tech, I'm just loosely call that's your data science, your uh, machine learning, your AI, dependent on IT, on computers, on computing capacity, but not computers per se, if I can put it. I know that's a very simplistic way of putting it. I mean, as companies look at this stuff, some companies are going to just pack it all into the IT group. Oh. Some companies are going to split it out amongst different things because you know, that's where the expertise is. It's not unlike a manufacturing company that maybe has a separate function of cost accounting or cost engineering outside of the, the finance and accounting group. So I'm curious, you know, what your thoughts are around that. And, and, and again, not looking for anything specific that, that Avery Dennison's doing, but I'm curious to what the thoughts are in the marketplace too, because I think that's, yeah, that's a big question because it's all packed in IT. When you could argue that's a huge risk concentration, and you don't know if it's going to filter out into the organization, but if it's split out in a lot of different areas, you could you know take the opposite side of that argument. So I'm really curious about what your insights might be on that. Yeah, I, I think the um, there's been a lot. You know, despite the the, the uh, let's just look at the market perspective for for this, just tech talent. We, we've heard yeah. a lot about high tech industry layoffs and, and a slowdown in demand for in some industries. You know, like publishing, insurance, you know, mm -hmm. hit pretty hard. Or more parts. These are industries that that are really pulling back on. CIOs are, 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 are report facing steep like competition for critical IT talent, right? Like, well, you know, while, while navigating this challenge, so there's been a, a lot of a lot of layoffs in tech, and this, and yet a lot of CIOs are hiring tech. So, what, what, what is that all about? And it's also compounded by voluntary attrition mm -hmm. that really outpaces any other any other function. Yeah, you know, usually IT is, is, although we have very low attrition in IT, so we're very do. So, so we're fortunate in that. That's regard. usually a that's a usually a pretty good indicator of your your leadership there. Just 
so you would know from a headhunting yeah. perspective? We, I think we have a lot to offer. And I, I can go through that. We, we've earned to Pure World's best places to work in IT uh, 2023, but also earned it, uh, you know, uh, in 2021. So wow, doing congrats some, some things right, I think. Yeah, it's yeah. helpful. To, and we, I can get into that if you like. But, um, but, but you know, what's interesting is is the media kind of, I think the media gets it wrong. I think they, they, they assume that, you know, they talk about the high tech talent, lots of layoffs, right? Mm-hmm. What they're missing is that IT roles aren't limited to high tech companies. <laughs> you know, they never talk about that. You never hear about that on CNBC or anything. Right. It's all about the high tech role. But, you know, so that's yes. They might be facing some layoffs. And I'm not saying other industries aren't, but, you know, a lot of I, a lot of traditional companies are hiring uh, in, in IT. And I think that you know, what makes it hard is that high tech talent doesn't always want to work in non-tech industries and vice right. versa, you know? So... So there's this, this, this challenge where uh, we want to hire high-tech talent, but they don't want to move over. And then our, our folks don't generally always want to go over to high-tech. So it's just sort of like this, it is a separate bucket of people to, to mm-hmm. some degree, right? Um, and, then, and think about it. If, even if high-tech workers wanted to work in non-tech companies, where are the tech folks concentrated? We just talked about that. 15 yeah. cities in the U.S. And non-tech companies operating about 310 medium-sized companies with populations over 100,000, right? So they're in the wrong location. There's a mismatch, mismatch of skill. And, you know, there's lack of interest in sort of that cross-pollination. I'm speaking very generally. So many people, so right, people in right. the yelling at me, it's fine. But I think there's a mismatch of skill, interest, and location. Yeah, the, the media always talks about like high-tech talent, thinking that's the entire IT industry. And it's not. It's just you're yeah. talking about it. Right. Well, I mean, it's, you know, Bill Gates, like him or not like him, doesn't really matter. I think he's famous for the quote that all companies are tech companies now. And yes, I, I think there's a lot of, of truth to the notion that, especially going forward, and I mean, the momentum has been gathering, right? That you, you're either going to get on board or you're not. And if you're not the threat, the risk of being left behind, falling behind the marketplace, not being able to deliver to your customers, not being able to innovate, yeah. not being able to collaborate. But, you know, it's funny because we're kind of full circle in a sense. You know, when we started, and I asked you the question about, you know, non-traditional degrees and getting into the the tech yeah. and IT space. Right. And and this is kind of full circle on that to, uh, to a degree. But what got me into tech recruiting was back in uh, 17 or 18, I picked up a search for a large uh, energy retail client a retail energy client, I should say. Okay. And it was for a data science basically to come in, build a dashboard and operate in real time, this very large direct advertising budget. You know, if, if direct mail is doing better, do it. If newspapers doing better, do it. If it's, if it's ads uh, on Facebook or Snapchat, whatever, do it. And they said, you're probably, we're probably have to relocate someone from San Francisco, New York, or wherever. All four finalists, and it was a retained search, so I, we did it right. We didn't just throw a paper on the wall. We had four finalists. Two, I was kind of, eh, maybe we'll have to say, but two, I was pretty, pretty feeling pretty strong about. All four finalists were from the Houston area for a Houston-based company. They were what, sorry? All four finalists were located in Houston. Oh, Houston. For a, okay. for a Houston-based opportunity. They weren't huh. somewhere else. And what, what really intrigued okay. me about it because I didn't know at the time I was looking all over the country, you know, trying to find the, the right person. Um, but what really intrigued me about it was that to your point, somebody wanting to move from one of the coast into the deep South was a challenge um, because the hunting fields for other opportunities and their locations were pretty, pretty amazing at that point in time and, mm-hmm. and have been, you know, for a long time, but there's a lot of talent out there. That's not as uh glamorized or hyped or promoted that's sitting out there if you're willing to dig for them, but it's hard. And and to the point that, yeah, it, the competition for those people can be a real challenge because there's yeah. only so many of them to go around. Yeah. And I think you have to really look at your, your, your talent acquisition strategies. You have to hunt them. You have to, you know, I think, if, if, and I think you have to really tailor your employee value proposition, which is what we do to, to really match you know, employee yeah. expectations and c- compensation is a few things that we do. You know, compensation, I think this is pretty general stuff remains, I think a really a, an essential driver of mm-hmm. attraction and, and retention. So employees have high expectations when they're, you know, when they're moving into a new company, a new role, they want to have an increase in compensation when they do that too, when they switch to employer. And then we've seen this trend really grow over the last couple of years. And 
we carefully ensure that you know compensation is commensurate with, with the market and and it stays yeah. that way throughout their employment. So we're constantly you know looking at the market, making sure, and obviously relative to performance. You know, uh, flexibility is another area. So compensation, and then you have flexibility. People want to work remotely. They want to have hybrid. Um, so demanding that people come into the office is just not going to work. I mean, I, we could. I went into several different large, I'll mention them, uh, uh, technology providers, mm-hmm. um, smaller ones. And, you know, those offices are bare. I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. So the high tech people aren't going in. From what I, what I saw, right? And I, yeah. and I can even speak to my own company, just not getting certain people that want to work full time, five days a week in the office, maybe a couple of days if they're close mm-hmm. by, that sort of thing. Um, but also just, you know, make, being flexible in terms of hours of work, the autonomy, giving people more autonomy is also another strategy. We talked about, you know, I, we, I didn't answer your question, but like we do soften some of the requirements uh, and, and allow for non-traditional backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just mentioned before, I met, I met with someone today that I'm really impressed with uh, to fill critical skills. And, you know, the IT partner role is one of those that you could make some accommodation for. Um, so we don't always have to... You know, you know, Kids always have to have college degrees in IT and that sort of thing. Yeah, continuous learning is another technique we use. So we, uh, it's just given that the that the landscape is is rapidly evolving and new technology is constantly coming out. And so we 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 have an IT academy at Avery Dennison that uh, provides on demand training. It's it's, it's role based training, which is fantastic. So if you're a BA, you're a project manager, you're an infrastructure specialist, you know you've got a curriculum curated especially created for your role. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have a team that focuses on this and we, we buy the best learning. Um, we do, um, we also have, I mean, most people learn on the job through experiences, experiences, right. right. But we, but you know, as you know, this, and, but you know, the online learning does help. You can get certified in different technologies. by Especially going, if it's something they can take forward with them. You, you yeah, know. T- t- right. Yeah. They have, we, we give out digital badges as well. Like an, we have an AI now we're building out this AI mm-hmm. trap so you can get a digital badge. Mm-hmm. People want digital badges. <laughs> but, 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 but there's also uh, commercial, like, you know, widely recognized certifications right. you can get these programs too. Like we right. use ProSoft as one example. So, um, yeah, the, it, that's really helping. And I think uh, the, the IT market remains, you know, uh, very competitive. Um, and so we have, to, we have to consider both, you know, John, internal as well as external candidates. And today, I think the figure is like over 40% of our jobs year to date Mm-hmm. Fulfilled by internal candidates. We call that internal. Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, you you got to take care of your own house first, and totally, yeah. if you don't, that house can 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 rot. It can get hollow, and that's not it's not a good. And it's, it's funny I say that because I'm on the outside. I rely on companies going, "Hey, we either can't or we don't have time to do this. We're having trouble with it. We'll pay you to come do it." And uh, yeah, those are my favorite companies. People who say that, but. <laughs> But I always tell them too, you know, one of the first questions is, especially if it's a hard to fill position, have you thoroughly exhausted your internal options? Because you might have somebody ready to step into position A that's sitting in position B, but there's no one else you're finding that makes as much sense to step into it, but you can't lose them out of position B. Well, have you looked at who you have internally that can fill position B and free this person up to get to A? You know, and I don't, I don't get paid for that. That's really depressing. Thanks a lot, Nick. Now I'm, I'm sad. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, 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 the 60% that we had to hire from outside. So there you go. The, the bigger part portion is going going out. But 40%, I think, is, is reasonable. That's a good number. That's a, that's a good number. That's a no, good no. effort. Yeah. I mean, I think people working internally, look, not everybody's cut out to do whatever's next within an organization based on organizational needs. But if you're constantly giving them opportunities to prepare for what could be next, and then rewarding them with the opportunity to step into that role, or at least have the opportunity to do it. Man, that stuff yeah. resonates when you're consistent yeah. with it. I think it we could be better through. at we could be better at that part about individual development programs. We're, mm-hmm. I think that you know, we we have to our managers have to work very closely with with their with their uh, staff to make sure that those those staff members have really strong individual development programs. Yeah. I think we do a better job with that and just you know make, checking in to make sure that everyone has. You know, an IDP and, and they're working, they're working. We certainly have the, the IT Academy. We have lots of projects. We do about a hundred mm-hmm. projects at any given time. We've got a hundred projects going on. Um, you know, and so, and more in the pipeline that's coming along. So we have plenty of opportunity to get on the job training, but also we have, you know, this uh, online learning program as well. So, uh, and DEI is another strategy, uh, very, mm-hmm. very much focus for us to, to tap, to tap into the, the power of, that, of a diverse and inclusive, uh, workforce. Uh, we have very high inclusion scores. I think we're over 90, 91% inclusion 
Uh, the last time we measured in 2022, we're going to do a good uh, survey now. So we're very big on making sure that people's, you know, the voices are heard, uh, that everyone has a, an, an opportunity to uh, share their perspectives. And and uh, and because collaboration is certainly key when you have a, an IT organization that's very matrixed. Um, you know, we, right. we do, you know, we have our shared services and we have our, our, our BU teams that are mostly business analysts that work very closely mm-hmm. with the shared services that we offer. Well, you know, at the end of the day, a collaborative group of people, people who can get along, know how to work as a team, whether they're next door to each other or half a world away, doesn't matter. Right. In my experience, eight out of 10 times when a person leaves a company or is is pushed out of a company, it doesn't come down to whether or not they know a programming language or whether or not they know a particular hard skill. It comes down to their soft skills. Right. You know, because... Look, you guys have enough going on. If somebody wants to learn something, there's a real good chance they have the opportunity to learn it. They just got to go engage and do it and have the discipline and regimen to go through it. And so it really comes down to, you know, can I be perceived as a partner? Can I be perceived as as collaborative and aligned with the culture and where we're all pulling the, the wagon in the same direction? But that leads me to, you know, we talk about people coming from different backgrounds, people having different career paths. Uh, you know, the impact of AI, which is going to be a hot topic for a while. But what we haven't touched on, even though we started, hey, tell us a little bit about Nick Callisto and, and, and how you got where you're at and your career path. But what we haven't talked about is what you might see as a, as a passion project or a personal project for you that you'd really like to amplify or, or put more effort into or just would like to uh, raise its profile in a market. So I have a uh, as an example, I had a, a guest on a while back, and she is one of a handful in the U.S. of Asian American women who were in the C-suite, relatively handful. And part of her, I guess you could say her passion product, pro, uh, project, which she wants to uh, help people with, is help other Asian women promote their careers and get on a path to go to the C-suite if that's what they want to do with their career. Um, so she's kind of gone to the top and she's sending an elevator down to help other people. Um, so I'm curious, you know, what do you, you know, I, I asked the question, the first couple of podcasts I did, I said, so what's next for you? And I realized, well, that's a bad thing because what if they're not happy? <laughs> or what if, you know, or I don't want to put any doubt out there because it's not my, my point, my goal, but I'd yeah. really like to know, you know, when you look in a mirror, you have your work and your career that that you got to be, happy with that you've, you've come so far and done so much and have so much going on and have a loyal following uh, and, and in a great situation, a great context. But what else is it that you do that you're passionate about that really lights the fires for you? Yeah, definitely. I, I said it's very easy to answer that one. So I'm, I'm the co-sponsor of Women in Leadership at Avery okay. Jameson, not just IT, but the, the, the whole company. And I'm very, very proud and, and honored to have that role with uh, one of our uh, one of our GMs is a co-sponsor with me. And it's two men that are the co-sponsors. We did that on purpose. Mm-hmm. At first, I was like, why Why do you have two men being the, uh, the co-sponsors? Wouldn't, wouldn't there be a woman in there? <laughs> and they did that on purpose because they wanted to really you know, signal that you know, this is important for this company and, and men have to be strong allies to women in leadership. And you know, the company is uh, doing very, very well with uh, gender diversity, but there's much more we can we can do. Um, so any function has its own set of targets and all that. But um, so I'm I'm really proud of that, and I and I work closely with uh, my co-sponsor, and we have a DEI team. We have a couple of different workshops. One is women, yeah, um, and uh, we focus on that. So that's my uh, that is definitely my my passion, and it's just a uh, it, it's not just uh, for IT. It's, it's across across the board, and right, you know, it's. It is, it is, um, you know, really interesting that, you know, first, you know, it, it's, it's about, I, I think there's a couple of different, we look at it, attracting, how do you attract women? How do you develop women and how do you retain women? So we've got processes around that. We're just continuing to, so if this team that we have continues to invest, which that's a whole nother webcast we could probably have, but oh, yeah. how do we go about that? But uh, we have lots of different programs and uh, so that's my, that's not, that's, that's certainly my, my second job at Iridescent. No, that's great. It's fantastic. Because look, at the end of the day, when we look at someone who's next to us, and it, whether they're male or female or, or, you know, they're a different ethnicity or whatever, at the end of the day, w- I think there has to be a mental shift from I'm going to work because I'm collecting a paycheck to I'm going to work because I'm learning, I'm growing. And hey, I have this person next to me who's on a similar journey. And the best way for me to reach that end of the journey is to help them reach the end of the journey too, right. you know, or whatever that, that goal or that milestone may be. I think when you look at your, 
your colleagues and your peers around you, upstream, downstream, wherever, and see them for what they are, you know, as a human being who's got their own struggles, and their own experiences, you're always stronger, as the old expression goes, you know, a bundle of sticks is a lot stronger than one or two stuck together. Uh, but to do that, you know what? You've got to be a stick and you've got to be in the bundle. Right. You know, and that's the that's the that's the mindset that people I think uh, miss in a lot of a lot of situations. I appreciate the fact that you're doing that. You're doing it across a huge organization, so the opportunity for impact is is certainly there. Yeah, the one form of diversity that's truly global, right? Because every region has other forms of diversity, right? So, what might be a, a diversity challenge in the U.S., like getting more Hispanic and Black professionals in different mm-hmm. roles, may not be the same challenge that you have in other countries, right? So, you know, trying to come up with global diversity metrics are are difficult because the the company is very regionalized, right? Mm -hmm. Gender is certainly a global problem. So I I find that one of the the most challenging, but also the most rewarding in terms of being able to make a difference. And uh, the company's on a great track. We put a lot of energy into this. And and, uh, we have a lot of allies and a lot of women uh, on these different uh, committees to, to help Come up with ideas to continue to, uh, you know, advance our our DEI uh, of women in leadership. So uh, it's a good one. That's yeah. a, good, it's a good one. Nick Callisto, CIO over at Avery Dennison. Man, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an amazing conversation. And I think if we're lucky, maybe we'll have some more in the future. I really appreciate you joining us. Thank you, John. It's a pleasure pleasure being on the podcast with you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Drowning in the Tech Talent Pool. This podcast is sponsored by Sabretooth. Sabretooth improves the quality of hire and speeds up the time to fill specialized machine learning, data engineering, data science, and developer roles, stretching tech recruiting budgets further by bringing the precision of retained search and the speed of contingent search to the market in one complete solution. Find out more at sbr2th.com and follow me, John Light, on LinkedIn. Thanks for listening.